And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll. I'm joined again by Electrex Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And we have a bunch of new stories this week uh, on several different topics. We, as usual, have a couple new e-bikes that have been launched, but we've got some other interesting things. We're going to talk about uh, whether or not electric bike companies give us honest range ratings. And we're going to talk about the uh, advantages of riding an e-bike without the e-part. Uh, there are a few new launches from non-e-bike companies. We've got an electric motorcycle that just started delivering. Uh, we've got Polaris delivering their new electric UTV. We've got another couple interesting stories, uh, an electric kayak conversion. So stick around throughout the whole show because we've got a lot coming. But uh, where are we going to start off with this week, Seth? All right. More than just scooters, Razor launches electric moped style e-bike for adults. Yeah, so this one, I mean, I hate calling everything a Super 73 clone, but it's hard to look at Razor's new e-bike and not say, wow, that looks like a Super 73. I mean, it, it basically looks like the Z1 style e-bike that they've been uh, running for a few years now. Uh, Razor, of course, is the uh, company that started with electric scooters, or in fact, uh, just kick scooters back in like the early 2000s. But now we mostly know of them for their electric scooters, but they've really expanded their adult lineup. And this new Razor Rambler 20 is an adult sized electric bike. Uh, it looks like a Super 73, but it's it's got a few interesting things to it. Uh, first of all, it's it's pretty affordably priced at just $1,000. So you're never going to find a Super 73 for that. It's not incredibly high power. It runs on a 36 volt system, I believe. But uh, it is a nice addition here because it sort of expands their child's e-bike lineup because they ha already had the Razor Rambler 12 and 16, which were sort of like for kids and teenagers. And now they've come out with the 20, which looks very similar, but it adds pedals and it makes it into an actual electric bike for adults. It'll get up to 20 miles an hour. Uh, it, I believe it does have a throttle. So we're looking at a class two e-bike here. But other than that, it's, it's fairly bare bones. The one thing that I really like about it is that the uh, headlight and taillight are fairly unique. We rarely see unique parts there because most companies just pull those out of a catalog and throw them on their e-bikes. But it's got this sort of like chromed out bullet style headlight and a uh, circular taillight that looks kind of motorcycle-y, which makes sense because they've gone with this sort of like cafe racer style uh, e-bike here. But all in all, you know, we've got a fairly decent looking $1,000 Super 73 clone. Nothing terribly special, but then again, for Razor to enter this new category, I'd say it's a, a pretty good first shot at a full-size e-bike here. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, it uh, looks like a fun uh, e-bike. It obviously doesn't have suspension. It looks like those are just uh, kind of pseudo uh, front fork suspension yeah. thingies. But um, does it have a uh, gears or is it just a one-speed? Uh, that's a good question. I don't think it has uh, a shifter on there. I don't see one from the pictures. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny. All the pictures are from the left side of the bike, so it's hard to see, but it looks like a single speed to me. Yeah, uh, that's fine. I think, you know, for 20 miles per hour, uh, you're, you know, Brad does it. Um, I think it's pretty, pretty normal. Um, I do like the tires. Kind of remind me of the tires on the uh, Luna Eclipse a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. The, you know, what's great about Razor is their reach. Um, they're, you know, they're going to be in Targets and probably Walmarts and a lot of other people are going to see them uh, all over the place. You know, there actually isn't that many 
<laughs> retail establishments anymore. I guess it's just Target and Walmart's everywhere. But um, well, they're in Best Buy too, so I think you'll be able to get it in Best Buy. Best Buy, okay. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's it's always good to see e-bikes in in more places. Um, I don't know that you're going to be able to test ride down the aisles of a Best Buy. I don't know if they'll <laughs> let you take it out, but uh, it'll be more in front of more people. You know, maybe somebody just returned a uh, two hundred dollar item at Best Buy. And they're like, oh, I'll just throw this at a uh, e-bike or something. I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't buy this. Uh, you know, I'd probably buy from a drop drop ship company, but I think a lot of people this would make some sense for. And also, I do like their lineup, the the little guy bikes, and and getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, it's it's cool because we rarely ever see that sort of progression. Normally, companies just have either adult stuff or children's rides, and so for Razor to cover like the entire age group is fairly novel in this industry. Yeah, and I actually kind of like the smaller ones, and I've seen those these online as well uh, because they have the battery low, so they keep the the weight low. Whereas this thing, I think those probably are lead acid batteries or AGM batteries, but the, uh, the bigger batteries problem. Sure. It's lithium under the seat. And you got room there for like your lunchbox and stuff too. Right. Right. Yeah. It's cool. Glad to see it. And I'm sure, you know, Best Buy will have sales and, and everything else. Um, all right, moving forward. Uh, hey bike unveils new folding fat tire electric bike that targets bang for your buck. This is the Haybike Ranger S. So Haybike has really been expanding their lineup. And the Ranger S here, it's it's one of the first bikes they've produced that looks like a bit of a higher class bike. You know, a lot of their their initial stuff looked more like a kind of electric XP or that level where, you know, it's a fine bike, but it doesn't look that nicely designed. Now they're going with like what appears to be hydroformed aluminum tubes. And, and this bike just certainly looks like a next uh, step up for the company. So it's it's cool to see them expanding and improving their lineup this way. So the Ranger S is a class two e-bike. Um, so it comes out of the box, 20 mile an hour throttle. It is unlockable though. So uh, you can get up to 28 miles per hour on uh, pedal assist, which will turn it into a class three. It's also got some nicer parts. So got, uh, of course, a 750 watt rear hub, but there's hydraulic disc brakes, which is very nice. We've got those uh, cast wheels. So you don't have spokes that you're gonna worry about maintenance issues, that sort of thing. It's got a decently large battery, uh, 48 volt, 14 and a half amp hour. It's not terribly big. I'd say it's probably average these days. Um, and we're seeing a lot of companies start coming out with bigger batteries than that. But Haybike has always been sort of a, a budget-minded brand. They're, they're not one of these companies that comes out with the nicest stuff. Um, they're not companies that come out with the newest stuff. So uh, for them to have a, a pretty slick-looking bike here, even if it's not, you know, the fanciest one out there or the nicest bike out there, I'd still say it's, it's pretty good. And because they're a budget category bike, they've always tried to keep those prices down. Here we're looking at a $14.99 price tag, which for this bike feels more than fair. They pack a lot in here. You know, it's a bike that can get up to class three speeds. It's got uh, auto sensing headlight and taillights so that will turn on automatically at night. Um, you know, powerful uh, hydraulic brakes, basically the works. Uh, it's a folding bike as well. A lot of people don't really fold these heavy um, fat tire e-bikes, but you know, if you needed to fit it into the trunk of a car or something, you probably could. And so at, at 1500 bucks, I'm fairly impressed here uh, with what they've been able to put together. Now, Haybike doesn't have the same 
um, you know, legacy of support that some of these larger brands have like Rad Power Bikes, like uh, Aventon or electric e-bikes. So you're going in perhaps with a little bit more of a risk up front, but the company's been around for maybe a year and a half now or so. And, and so far I've heard lots of good things about them. People are pretty happy. So I would say that, you know, despite it being a little more risky from that front, this isn't like a brand new Asian e-bike company. They've at least been delivering for a while. And we've, we've seen some, uh, you know, the beginning of a, them building a reputation here, which, which I always like to see. Uh, what do you think of this setup, Seth? It looks nice. Uh, I think we saw like the beginnings of this or maybe some prototypes of this at, uh, I want to say CES. Uh, didn't Haybike have like a big uh, display there? Maybe they, maybe not this particular bike, but, or maybe they were alluding to this bike. Um, like you said, I think this is, you know, a really nice uh, project from them. Uh, the fact that the batteries in the tube kind of, differentiates it from a lot of the other stuff we've seen out there um this the the mag wheels remind me of the um himaways a little bit and it's a 750 uh buffang right yes so it might be that same bike and or sorry same motor and controller which i think we were kind of not super impressed with the uh the the, you know, the cadence sensor and, and the, uh, you know, it took a little bit of time before the, uh, the, uh, power kicked in and it took a little bit of time before it kicked off, um, in, in that Himaway bike. So I wonder if this one has the same, uh, thing. Um, I do like that. It's also got a four amp charger. A lot of these bikes come with like a, you know, two amps. So that's, that's a plus. Yeah, it's a good point because those two amp chargers can take a while to recharge when you're, you know, almost out. So to get, you know, basically half the charging time is a pretty nice benefit. And it's, it's so easy for companies to do, like just spend three more dollars and give us a four amp charger. Right. Yeah, it's like not don't cut there. Like there's <laughs> there's things to cut, but like don't put suspension on the front. Yeah. And this one also has suspension. Uh, probably not the high, super high end, but, you know, something that'll soften the road a little bit. Um, and obviously the big tires will do the same. Uh, it's a great package. Uh, I think we, we've got a pretty good relationship with Haybike. I think uh, we'll probably be reviewing this at some point. Yeah, um, we haven't heard about any review units yet, um, but hopefully we'll be able to get on one of these because it, it does look pretty slick. And it definitely, it seems to me like a step up in, in Haybike's uh, design compared to the, the last few Haybikes we've seen. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, moving on, uh, here, oh, this, this is a good one because we get this a lot. Here's why you can't trust electric bike companies when it comes to battery range. Yeah, so this, like, I don't want to make this out like an attack on electric bike companies, but anyone who, who has ridden e-bikes before, especially if you've bought one yourself, you'll know that you almost never get the stated range that companies say. And it's not like, you know, with a car where they might say, you know, you get like, uh, you know, in, in EPA, 32 mile per gallon or an NEDC, 250 miles of range. And you get like pretty close to it, but you never quite get there. With e-bikes, sometimes you get half of the range that it says on the, the marketing literature on the website. And so there's, we sort of broke this down and covered a few reasons why this is the case. Uh, the first main thing is that there's no standard for range testing on electric bikes. It's not like an EPA rated range or something like that. And what that means is that e-bike companies are thus free to just say whatever range they want and determine it however they want. 
in the best case, they've actually gone out and done real world range testing. And some companies actually do this and they share that data with us. So Aventin was one of the first companies that would put on the sales page the exact range that they got from tests at every pedalysis level and on throttle. But what a lot of companies do is that they unfortunately uh, just do either a single test with like a super lightweight rider in the lowest power mode and they say that's our range or they might not even do tests and they just sort of estimate what they think the range will be. And that's where you see a lot of these, you know, 60, 70, 90 mile ranges on like small battery fat tire bikes where you can already start to guess that that's not going to be a super accurate range for bikes like this. So without any standard for, for range testing, it sort of leaves it up to the companies. Uh, the next thing though, is that even if companies do this, like, you know, really nice each level range testing and give us the data, even with that data, it doesn't mean you're going to get the same range because there are so many factors that affect an e-bike's range. Small things like, uh, you know, how uh, pumped up your tires are versus big things like are you riding uphill or downhill or into a tailwind, all these things can make a huge difference. You know, rider weight, uh, position in riding, if you're wearing a backpack, if you're in a high row low gear, if you're on, you know, like gravel versus tarmac, everything can make a big difference. And if you add all of those up, the same bike could get 15 miles or 50 miles of range. So for, you know, one company to give one range is, is nearly impossible to begin with. And that means that they're usually going to give you a uh, idealized in the perfect world, you know, uh, tires at 100 PSI on super smooth asphalt, this is the range. Um, but there is a, a way to sort of estimate range if you're looking at different e-bikes and you want to know if it's, you know, realistic what the companies are telling us. And it does require a little bit of math, but the summary here is that you can basically take the capacity of the battery and divide it by a constant efficiency that's pretty accurate for most e-bikes. And just to you know go over the numbers kind of at a high level here and not get too lost in the weeds, basically you're looking at about 25 watt hours per mile on a uh, throttle bike and about 15 watt hours per mile on a pedal assist bike. So for example, if you just take like a, you know, a rad power battery at uh, about 624 watt hours, you divide that by 25, looking at about 25 miles of range on throttle or divided by 15, you're looking at um, closer to about 40 miles on pedal assist. And that actually aligns pretty well with Rad's figures. So, you know, we got to give Rad kind of a pat on the back for giving us fairly honest range ratings there. But in terms of, you know, comparing from one bike to another, that's really the best way to do it is to look at the battery capacity and not necessarily the uh, actual stated range by the company. And then just sort of in the back of your mind, consider some of those other factors like, you know, are they fat tires? Are you off-road? Are you going uphill? Are you a heavier or a lighter rider? That sort of thing. And that way you're going to sort of ballpark in on the right range based on your specific ride and not just these, you know, super idealized numbers that, that e-bike companies give. Um, and Seth, I mean, you've ridden a ton of e-bikes. You're in a very hilly area as well. I'm sure you've had the dismay of not achieving the kind of range that that e-bikes publish before they come to you. Yeah. Uh, I, I have my own, like, you know, in my brain, I think, uh, somebody says 50 miles in my brain. I think, you know, that's like 25, 30 miles. Um, you know, we have huge hills here. I'm a bigger guy. Uh, so I just kind of do that stuff in my head. It's unfortunate that there's not some sort of like EPA, range for bikes where they have a standardized test um you know i, I know the uh 
you know, the watt hours uh, mathematics works out, but that doesn't give any uh, benefit to like the companies that you know do work on efficiency and and you know the seed height and you know all the other stuff that can help out and then you know there's things that probably make zero difference like uh regeneration you know that's more for saving your brakes but like it if it's just standardized on battery size uh it doesn't really kind of motivate um bike makers to kind of push push the numbers down a little bit or figure out ways to make things more efficient um so i kind of wish there was like an epa uh and you know as e-bikes get more um popular maybe maybe something like like that'll pop up maybe the epa will actually do it just say look we have a track in wherever and you know we'll just put on the throttle i mean i guess with pedal assist that's that's a whole nother variable but throttle alone would be an easy way to kind of throttle alone on a flat track would be an easy way to, you know, at 20 miles per hour, for instance, yeah. uh, with like, you know, <laughs> a certain person, like you could be like, I'm the standard person and, uh, you know, driving around, uh, I guess it, the different days, hot and cold, windy, those will all be variables. I guess it's not, not perfect. Like uh, whatever agency is in charge of the SI units, and they have like that kilogram somewhere exactly. in the vault. Yeah, like the one e-bike rider they keep in a vault is the standard. Right, and then you know you go to a big birthday party, and and you're a bigger guy, <laughs> and you uh, you change the weight of the the standard person. Yeah, I guess it's a tough problem, but uh, you know we're we're getting better at kind of figuring these things out. And you're right, like the bat if you can get a rough estimate of how far you're going to go on, on the battery size and taking into account wheel size and treads and all the other stuff. Yeah. Like you said, maybe once e-bikes continue to become even more popular, someone will step up EPA somebody and, and create a standard. Yep. All right. Uh, yes. I ride my electric bike with the power off. Here's why. Why? Yeah, this story kind of kind of blew up, and I was surprised. Um, I had just come back from a ride where I had been riding without the e-bike turned on, and I thought that you know, like I do this a lot, maybe I should share it. And it was sort of like a you know off the cuff moment, but like people were really interested in why. <laughs> so here's the reason. Um, just a little bit of backstory first. So I first got into e-bikes with like really high power e-bikes. Here's a picture of my first e-bike. It was a 2,000 watt beast of an e-bike. And that's how I got into this whole industry. You know, I was never a cyclist. I never, you know, considered myself someone who like rode bikes for fun. For me, it was a powerful bike to get around a city because I didn't have a car. And my first few years of e-biking, like I didn't turn the pedals at all. Like my chain would rust off before I'd move a pedal. But over time, as e-bikes started to get nicer and occasionally I would spin the pedals and I'd be like, oh, that was kind of nice. Then I'd start using pedal assist and you know, I realized it kind of adds something to the ride. Instead of, you know, sitting on it like a motorcycle, you become a little more connected with the machine and you become part of the process. And the more I started using pedal assist, especially on rides that weren't as, you know, important that I get somewhere on time, the more I sort of learned to appreciate the slower pace of recreational e-bike riding. And over time I got better at it. And, you know, I probably got a little more fit because I was never really a strong cyclist. 
And I started using lower and lower pedal assist levels with less and less power. So one day it was just like, well, you know, I'm on like a nice flat, relaxing path. I don't really need the electric right now. And I turned it off and I had like a really pleasant ride. And afterwards I had this really nice feeling that like I did that all by myself. It was like taking the electric training wheels off. And for someone who had never like considered himself a cyclist, it was like a, a light bulb moment for me. And as I started doing more rides like that, I just started appreciating how much fun it was to actually be the reason that the bike is moving and for it to be like all of my effort. Now, I don't do this for most of my rides when I'm getting somewhere where I need to go. I'm going to buy groceries, that sort of thing. Usually I'm, I'm keeping a pedal assist and occasionally I just ignore the pedals altogether and throttle around when I'm, you know, on the clock kind of thing. But I still often like for this ride that I mentioned here, I was going out on like a, a Friday morning to a wine store to get some wine when my wife and I were going to go out to a friend's place that night. And so it was not a, a big, you know, uh, shopping trip. I wasn't on the a time crunch. I knew I was about to get overcharged for something I didn't understand. So why rush, right? Like, why not just take a nice leisurely Friday morning ride, which by the way, in Tel Aviv, Friday's the weekend. So it wasn't even a weekday and uh, enjoy, you know, a slow pace through the city on my own power. And as I do this more and more, it just creates such a nice relaxing way to, to get around. Now it's slower, it's a little more effort. And it's, you know, the fact that I live in a flat city probably makes it less painful than, you know, maybe pedaling around your hills, Seth. But for someone who never came from pedaling to slowly realize how much fun riding a, a bike bike is, I think is is one of a, a big advantage of electric bikes and that they bring people in and they show people that you can actually get around with your own two legs, even if you didn't think that was something you would ever do. That's, that's what it did for me. It's, it's kind of hilarious to me because, you know, I came from pedaling and uh, e-bikes get me over the hill easier. Um, but then I became kind of addicted to e-bikes because, Hey, I'd like to go 25 miles per hour instead of 15 miles per hour. And, you know, I, I stay in traffic better. Um, and I honestly, like, I have a gravel bike that I still take every once in a while. But just, like, thinking about, like, going up the hill on, with that thing is, like, it's hard for me to, like, go. So I, it's just funny to me to see you're having, like, the opposite experience. Like, you've come from electric. You started on electric bikes and you've come from electric bikes. Um, so, like, bigger picture, this makes me think, like, what like some bikes some electric bikes if you turn the power off it's really hard like it's like i would even say some uh bosch bikes it kind of feels like you're in the mud uh when you turn the power off um but there are some good bikes that are are really uh great to ride without um the electric on uh, one i have actually two that i really like um i have an old um rally redux ie from 2017 that's kind of my daily driver uh it's only a pedal assist bike but it um you know just sometimes like i'm not going too far i'm not going up a huge hill and i'll just not turn the you know i'm going to my neighbor's house i just won't uh you're too lazy to turn the power on and I'll, you know you're right it, it takes you longer you don't go as fast but you get there and it's you know whatever like an easy um, pace of life kind of ride. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, it is nice to have that. I've, you know, I'm supplying all the power there. Um, the other bike I have uh, that I ride without 
um, power is the um, the Luna X2, which I got to get around to getting a review out for that. But it's a fantastic mountain bike. Um, it's made carbon fiber, so it's super light. Um, and they've done a lot of things like uh, instead of putting a big buffang motor on there, they have a the BB8 HD or whatever. Um, so it's a very light um, mountain bike, mountain electric bike. But um, every once in a while, I'll go biking with my buddies, and they don't have electric bikes, and I have a you know a really powerful, crazy electric bike. So it it's just not the same. Like I would just fly off, you know. So I'll just turn it off, or sometimes I'll cheat and and put it in a very low uh, mode. But you know, oftentimes I can keep up with them uh, with the power off. And, uh, it's a better experience when you're, you know, with your acoustic bike buddies to just be, be, uh, not electric for a little while. Um, are you familiar with the, the Bosch muddy, if you turn it off feeling? Uh, I don't ride Bosch bikes too often, but, um, I mean, there certainly is that extra weight feeling, the extra resistance, not so much in the motor, but I mean, the whole bike especially and Bosch is, is now making some fairly powerful motors. So you're, you're often finding those on even bigger bikes than you used to, which yeah. might be part of it. Yeah. The weight's certainly something, but I think, uh, I think the gearing or something is, isn't great for, uh, for riding without power. And of course, like every e-bike, you know, the thing that you think about is like, okay, if I run out of power, can I get anywhere? And, you know, with the super 73 bikes or, you know, like a, um, a juiced scorpion for instance you can pedal those things like they have gears you can you can certainly get somewhere but it's a lot of work um so you know if you like we're looking at the uh, rad mission here i feel like the rad mission would probably be a little bit easier to pedal if the if the power uh if you ran out of power if you didn't want to turn the power on so that's one thing to consider a lot of these bigger e-bikes with the big tires fat tires and all the other stuff. Um, if you do want to pedal bike without electric, you got to kind of think about that when you're making a, making a choice there. Yeah, absolutely. The, the two bikes that I go no power on are the rad mission and uh, my priority current before I unfortunately lost it. Um, but those are both, you know, fairly urbanized, fairly lightweight bikes that are pretty easy to pedal without any electricity. Oh, and a friend of mine just got a ride one up prodigy and he said it, it rides better, uh, without electricity than his old bike and with electricity, obviously is way better, but, um, he's a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that one's got the Brozo motor, which is also pretty, pretty nice and lightweight. And I, yeah, see I, that, re- uh, I recommended that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing he listened to you. <laughs> All right, uh, the CSCRX1E, America's next low-cost, highway-ready electric motorcycle, begins shipping. This is one I've been excited for for a while. They announced it at the end of last year. It is finally shipping. And this is one of the first sort of low-cost, highway-capable electric motorcycles that really delivers. It sort of brings what people wanted from the Metacycle in a slightly more expensive package. It's about $8,500 now but it delivers on the specs that most people need. It goes 80 miles an hour. It can get over 100 miles of range in the city. Now, when you take that at 80 miles an hour, you're going to cut the range significantly. But 
for most people, even if you've got, you know, 20 miles of highway commute, you can still do it uh, on this bike and then get into the city. You know, you can live in the suburbs, ride this on the highway into the city and then ride home all on one charge. Uh, it's a fairly big bike. It's about 450 pounds, but there's a lot to it. Uh, it's got a fairly large six point, let's say five kilowatt hour battery. It's uh, a liquid cooled uh, bike. So it's got a uh, eight kilowatt continuous 18 kilowatt peak mid, uh, mid drive motor with a belt drive on it. Uh, both the motor and the controller, I believe are liquid cooled. So it's kind of like a, uh, almost a zero motorcycle setup there but in a much more affordable package. Now, the fit and finish, obviously not going to be as nice as Zero. Um, it's not going to have the same support as Zero, though CSC uh, out in California is known for having really great support. They have an entire warehouse full of parts in stock there. So if you ever have an issue, they like, you know, FedEx it out right away so you can get it fixed locally. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't compare this to a Zero in, in many aspects, but the performance is fairly close to an entry-level zero at significantly lower cost. So to me, this is basically the first highway-ready uh, budget electric motorcycle that, that is shipping in the U.S. And really, you know, it, it answers what the Saunders almost did, is, is that full highway-capable performance with a pretty decent range. Because here we've got about 50% more battery or so than the, uh, the Saunders Metacycle. So I'm super excited to see this one is shipping. And um, from what I've heard, they've already sold the, like the first two containers that came in. So people are getting pretty excited about this one as well. Uh, you said it compares to a zero. Uh, is that like the FX? Yeah. So the, the power here is slightly below the, um, the FX or the FXE, the, uh, which are both like their, uh, I think it's 35 kilowatt peak, but um, you know, the continuous power is going to be much lower than that. Um, the battery is approximately the same size as the 7.2 kilowatt hour battery on the, the zero FX and FXE, um, because zero even uses like a slightly misleading way to calculate battery capacity. They use the, the full voltage, like the fully charged voltage of the pack. So what they call 7.2 is really like the high sixes or something like that. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's actually pretty comparable to the, the power and performance of a zero. The acceleration is not quite there. Um, and it's, you know, not as fun, I would say, as when I was on the FXE, but it's also a different type of bike. You know, this one is more of an adventure style bike and it rides very differently. You're sitting up really tall. Uh, I took this one Canyon carving out in, uh, the foothills over Azusa, California. Wow. And... It's like you almost got an accident there. Yeah. So, <laughs> truck um, went out. Yeah, like it was like a wide open highway and he decides to pull out right in front of me. Uh, but good brakes, which I discovered right there. So, um, you know, this one actually, it's, it's interesting because it's got the uh, old school brake setup where the uh, rear brake is controlled by a foot lever instead mm. of like most newer light electric motorcycles have two hand levers. So in that way, it's also set up like a zero, which a lot of guys that have been riding bikes for years prefer. Me, I prefer the two hand levers because... A, I come from bicycles, and and B, I was never like a gas bike guy, so I don't have all the muscle memory of you know braking with my uh, foot. But you do have a brake on the on the handles, right? One brake. Yeah. So the uh, right uh, lever is your front brake, uh, right. right hand lever, and the uh, right foot controls the rear brake. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to go over the handlebars. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. And I mean, that's like the legacy way to do it because, you know, used to the left bar was reserved for a clutch. It's just right. now the, you know, the left bar is naked. There's nothing there because you obviously don't need a clutch on a electric motorcycle. Well, actually some do, but you know, the most don't have gearboxes, so you don't need yeah. it anymore. This one doesn't have any. And, um, you know, CSE, very low cost or relatively low cost, uh, quality of components. Like, was it, you know, it, rattling was there i mean we we see a lot of uh storage containers on here is that is that loaded up well yeah i mean it, it rode great it felt solid the um the storage boxes there are plastic they're not um like metal boxes so uh you know they aren't quite as nice as you know they look like those silver um metal boxes like aluminum but they're just plastic but mm. still i mean everything's quite nice um the the only downside of those big boxes is it's a bit hard to get on and off if you're a shorter rider. Right. I'm five foot seven or about 170 centimeters. And so like sort of spearing a leg over the saddle there was a bit tricky since you can't swing it up over the rear box. But, um, you know, if you've got a couple inches on me, then you'll probably be fine. But other than that, you know, it was, it was great. It's also got those crash bars there, like you can see. So the fact that it comes with the boxes, with the crash bars, all those things that would be hundreds of dollars on other bikes is, is a nice part of this. And you can take those off, obviously. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you probably take like, I don't know, 40 pounds off with taking those boxes and crash bars off. Um, and, um, you know, we talked about the quality before, but, uh, like rattling noise, like the motor makes a lot of noise. doesn't make a lot of noise. What's, what's uh, no, vibe? it was, yeah, it was eerily quiet. Um, it's got a belt drive too, so you don't mm -hmm. have chain noise. Nothing really rattling around. Vibration uh, one thing, is low. Uh, yeah, not a lot of vibration. Um, it was interesting because when I would get off it, you'd still hear the uh, fan for the radiator running for like a minute. And it was very weird because normally when you get off an, an air-cooled electric motorcycle, like there's just no noise. I mean, even when you come to a stop, there's like it's silent. It's as if it's off because obviously it doesn't make any sound idling. So it's weird to hear like a slight humming from underneath you with the little fan on the radiator running. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, it's, it was a beauty to ride. It was just, I mean, it was so smooth, so nice. And I rarely get to ride in such an upright position either, but because this is styled after an adventure bike, it's very upright and it just made me much more comfortable riding on it. How about regen? It's uh, a good question. I don't, think it has regen braking mm. um i don't remember anything about that um yeah the other thing that, those, those canyons there's probably like a lot of opportunity to generate electricity on the way down yeah yeah um it would be nice the other thing that would be a nice addition would be level two charging it just charges off of a wall plug so yeah. you do give up, give up a few things um actually now that i think about it i can't remember if the fx or the fxe has built in level two charging or not. Uh, I know I had an FXS for a while and I just plugged it off of the wall. Um, but it would be nice if it had uh, level two charging. What's the uh, amperage or the charger? Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Cause I never charged it up. I just borrowed it for one ride. Right. I don't I mean, remember it, what the charger looked yeah, like guess, or how strong it was. I guess you can get, if you're lucky, you can get a kilowatt out of, uh, out of a, 110 volt so uh filling up the battery seven hours and 110 seven you know yeah. seven seven point two kilowatt hours 
Not too bad. That seems like a pretty good bike. And, you know, the, the price obviously is the big thing. Uh, 8,000 bucks, uh, like pretty crazy price for that. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, the $20,000 zeros and energy kits and stuff are going to outperform this, but for someone who's just looking for a commuter bike, eight, eight and a half thousand bucks is, is in my opinion, a very good price for a, a highly capable bike like this with good range. Yeah. And CSC has been around for a while. Uh, customers I, you know, I hear from are pretty satisfied. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've been around for decades. They only got into the electric game about like five years ago, but you know, the, the dealership itself has, has been here for just years and years. Awesome. All right. Moving on. Uh, Polaris begins shipping its groundbreaking 110 horsepower Ranger, Ranger XP kinetic electric UTVs. Yeah, this is going to make a lot of people happy because they were way behind on their, their shipping schedule here. And it was like once a week I was getting emails from people asking me like if I knew anything, what was going to happen. You know, there are a lot of reservation holders out there that were starting to get pretty impatient, which is understandable. I would be too. So it's exciting that we can finally share that the Polaris is actually shipping these things. Um, and it's a big deal too, because this is not just like a, um, you know, stepping stone product. This is a huge revolution for Polaris when they came out with their uh, Ranger XP Kinetic. They, uh, they made a big deal by saying this isn't just their best uh, Ranger, like electric powered vehicle, because they did have a, a previous kind of like anemic electric Ranger, but that this is the most powerful UTV in its class period, gas or electric. And having tested it out myself, I can tell you that it is wild. Like the power beneath you, the acceleration, um, even just like the smoothness, right? Like with, with UTVs, especially when you're using them for utility work, being able to like creep around slowly or like back up for a, a towing hitch, they're not known for their like super nimble maneuverability. But because this is an electric vehicle, it can just very slowly creep around if you want it to, you know, you can very slowly ease up to a, a towing hitch or something like that. And so that's a, a huge advantage here. Not to mention the fact that it's just so quiet. Like when you're out in the woods, you're not scaring off the animals. If you're working on a farm, you're not startling the livestock, that sort of thing. And so a lot of big advantages here. Um, and the fact that they're finally shipping these things is absolutely going to be a big deal for all the people that have been waiting uh, well over a year. It might even be two years now at this point um, to get one of these in their hands. So I I'm excited for you guys. And uh, I'm also excited to test this thing out again because I think I'm going to have a chance in the next few weeks to get behind the wheel of one of these again, which I'm super excited for because it was awesome the first time. And that was, uh, they're in Minnesota, Polaris? Yeah, they, they have a couple locations. Um, so they have, uh, the production is actually in Huntsville, I want to say, uh, Alabama. Okay. The, the, the main Polaris, um, I guess, headquarters for R&D and such is in Minnesota. Yeah, I feel like I, they were, there was like an event where they had their own track near their headquarters or something like that. Yeah, they have uh, like some serious... Uh, off-road testing tracks out there that like go through every type of terrain all right i see this is only level two as well is that uh what size is the battery is that like a problem or is that fine yeah so it's um because they actually were able to build these through a partnership with zero they use zero's drivetrain and oh, so you either get uh one or two of zeros uh i think they're 17 amp, uh, 17 kilowatt hour batteries, if I'm not mistaken. So it's either, I think, uh, 
17 or 34 um, kilowatt hours. Uh, oh no, here it is. It's the 14.9 kilowatt hour pack. There we go. So you're, you're either getting like 15 or 30 kilowatt hours and it only charges at level two. Um, zero has yet to adopt level three uh, DC fast charging. I know people get on my case when I call it level three because I think it's technically not one of the levels, but... Uh, no, it is. Level three is, is, D, is DC fast charging. Yep. Oh, people always told me that like DC fast charging is not technically a level, but okay. All right, that's good. Shows I'm not a, a car guy because yeah. there aren't that many motorcycles that can tell, do DC fast charging. people to uh, get lost. All right, I'm going to tell them. I'm going to cite you from now on. Check with Seth. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, no fast charging, but um, you know, you do get level two charging. And since most people just use these as like a you know utility vehicle during the day, like charging overnight, I think it's gonna be perfectly fine for most cases. And this picture has towing. Did, did it, does it have a rating of how many pounds it can tow? Yeah, it can tow uh, oh, up to twenty five hundred pounds, which is pretty good. I mean, that's yeah, like you that's know, tough, truck towing. Yeah. That is pretty good. Um, and what why did this take so long to get out the door? Like, do we know what the, the weight was? Yeah, I wish I could tell you. I, I don't know either. Um, I don't know if it was like software issues, if it was hardware. Um, you'd think the fact that they were working with Zero would, would make it easier to expedite things because they didn't have to develop a drivetrain. But in talking to the engineers, what I learned was that they actually had to do a pretty significant amount of customization on the drivetrain to make it fit their applications. Because, you know, motorcycles, they're rarely operating at, at high power most of the time. You know, like you gun it, you accelerate, and then you're back down to like modest power levels while you're cruising. But with UTVs, especially when you're off-road, you could be in the, the high power end basically the entire time you're operating. Especially if you're towing or, you know, you're, you're crawling across rocks, you're going uphill, that sort of thing. And so they had to do some significant customization to make sure that the drivetrain worked just as well, basically, at its high power range as it did for a normal motorcycle style application. And perhaps that just took longer than they were expecting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that, glad that the customers are getting them and I'm sure we'll hear from some soon. Last story, uh, electric, sorry, easiest electric kayak conversion ever. B O T E and Bixby add a motor to kayaks and SUPs. A lot of acronyms in this one. Yeah, right. Um, so I think it's pronounced boat, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, and they, they're basically like an inflatable, they started with, I think, stand-up paddle boards, but now they have inflatable boats like skiffs and kayaks and such. And they just teamed up with uh, an uh, electric motor company called Bigsby that makes these small marine motors. And so with boats, I think it's called the Apex system, where they have like a pedal drive for their kayaks and for their stand-up paddle boards. Which I guess turns them more into like a, a sit down pedal board. Um, kind of changes everything there. But uh, basically, they, they have this system that already has pedal drive that goes down through the inflatable hole, and they were able to modify it to fit Bigsby's motors. So now, if you have one of these systems, you can just like pop that sucker in, and you instantly have a motor underneath your uh, kayak or underneath your stand up paddle board, and you've created a, an electric boat. It's got its own independent battery, which actually floats in case it goes overboard, which is kind of nice. Um, I think you get at full power, something like 80 minutes of runtime, which is not great, but at lower power, you get, I think, like nine hours. So, you know, it shows a big difference between how much energy is needed when you're just trolling along or when you're going fast. Um, and fast here is kind of relative. I think the top speed is something like nine miles an hour. So, you know, 
on water that's actually pretty decent but it's not you know like super wind in your hair kind of kind of speeds here yeah uh, but the whole thing is just such a nice compact looking system that uh, I just think you know it, it looks great it looks like it works great you just pop it in there and in like two seconds it's it's now an electric boat and I'm, I'm pretty excited to see it yeah low price too uh, 1400 bucks uh, yeah for for boats that's nothing it's like a new steering wheel <laughs> right and uh, you know go to the neighbor's house if you live on the water uh, just down the street or whatever or uh, you know I'm thinking of my in-laws place in Florida uh, there's like a Publix and couple uh shops across the water uh that takes like half an hour to get there by car but you know really quick by boat so <laughs> if, if that's if that's your scene that might be a good product for you um but the cool thing is because they're inflatable you don't even need like a trailer you know right, like no you, could, you could have this in a backpack and just like walk up to the water's edge inflate it and you're like zipping around on your little electric boat so is this gray thing the battery or is that just holding the dry storage there uh no that's just uh, a bucket i think it's like a bait bucket um the battery is exactly. i think there were three smaller yeah it's, it's that like lunchbox looking thing okay cool yeah that is pretty small and as you said it floats so that's that's pretty good with a device like that i'm also kind of surprised at the size of the motor it seems really small you know even with the propeller it's like a little jet yeah, I mean it's it's not a you know a thrill-seeking kind of motor, but yeah. it'll get you moving along if you've got a small vessel like this. Yeah. All right, cool product. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Let me um, get to the questions here. All right, uh, got a thumbs up. Uh, we got a fan or a not a fan of hay bike. Uh, I, I don't actually. So Arma Gideon says they're ugly. I like. There's nothing ugly about that bike. It seems fine. Like so they used to not be as good looking, but this one, yeah, I think they yeah. really improved their appearance. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, of of all the bike, like we've seen some bikes that could be called ugly. That <laughs> one is just like it. If anything, it's not, you know, anything. It's just a whatever. Yeah. Anyway, well, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? Right. All right, uh, Mikhail Pardawala. Hello from Canada. I'm looking for a two-person e-bike here and not to have to pay crazy shipping fees for bikes from the U.S. Do you guys have any recommendations for bikes below 2000? And I'm assuming that's 2000 Canadian. Um, I mean, the, there's I guess... a company Bike Tricks, like B-I-K-T-R-I-X, that's Canadian. I think they have at least one moped-style bike that might have a rear seat option. If you're looking for a local company, I think that would do it. Okay. But uh, then, other than that, like, I mean, Rad has the runner that you know has the seat in the back that you can, and they'll deliver to Canada, and it'll be a below two thousand starting price. Although the, the new runner is a little bit over two thousand. Um, yeah, and you can get like a hyper scrambler, whatever. They'll they'll send those to Canada. All right. Uh, Steve Rice, we don't need battery cars that have unnecessary oversized battery packs that constantly need recharging everywhere we take them. Okay. Hot take. Free energy self-generating generators attached to axles. Okay. This is, and yes, it's coming from Facebook. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> this is where I see this kind of stuff. Um, random dude, I haven't charged my priority current in 130 miles and I've still got four out of 10 bars. Yeah, that, that's a dude that also turns his bike off when he pedals, I can tell. Right. Nice. He's doing a lot of pedaling. 
Hey, all right. Uh, Doug Grinberg's e-bike weight consideration. Does your transit agency allow heavier e-bikes on bus bike rack in case you run out of steam juice time? Can you even lift? Do you even get that high? Um, yes, that is a consideration. We recently uh, reviewed um, some special uh, special uh, bike racks kind of designed for e-bikes. It was the Hollywood rack. Um and you know they're they're obviously way built way stronger than a typical e-bike rack, and that's a really good point that uh, bus bike racks may not be built for e-bikes. I don't know. Does yeah, that... I never never really thought about. It. I mean, I like to think that anything that's on like public transit, they build to be like bulletproof. That's but, true. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you hit a big bump with a sixty seventy pound e-bike, that could be an issue. Yeah, and you know, like. Um, e-bikes aren't crazy heavy like we have a bike rack that's built for five bikes uh if if you just put one or two e-bikes on there it's going to be the same weight as five bikes so i don't know all right uh moving on nico d i wouldn't look at any ev under a hundred kilometer range um i wonder what he's referring to there but yeah, maybe that was in the RX-1E. Um, oh, okay. I mean, by the time you get to motorcycles and cars, yeah, like 100 kilometers, that's 60 miles. Yeah. If, you, if you're getting out of the city, you want more in 60-mile range. That's for fair. sure. All right, the RX-1E looks great. Any possible of level 2 charging upgrade in the future? I already chatted with CSC, and as you know, it's just L1 now. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that'll be easy to upgrade, like, you know, an aftermarket thing you can wire in. Um, you're probably limited to those, like, adapters that still charge it, you know, whatever your wall charger's speed is. Yeah, and, and the uh, that that actual, like, interface didn't look like the, uh, the metal was too heavy-duty there, so I don't think it's going to be rated for a lot of DC charge. Uh, Dan Sullivan, what are some quality electric motorcycles with level two charging possibility, even with the adapters, say, if going to an RV park or something? I mean, all the like flagship motorcycles, you know, like Energica Zero, um, actually not Livewire. I was going to say they all have level two charging. Livewire does charge on level two, but it's at level one speeds. Um, though the new, sorry, that's the Livewire one, the original bike. The new one that's coming out in the next few months, the Livewire S2 Del Mar will charge at uh, level two speed. So basically every, you know, flagship electric motorcycle out there now pretty much charges at, at level two speeds. It's just the um, sort of urban commuter bikes, like the Metacycle, like the RX-1E. Um, I think the Rivet Anthem also won't have level two, if I'm not mistaken. Although like sort of urban commuter bikes are still mostly level one charging. All right. Uh... So this is weird. Diesel vehicles are making a comeback in France. Okay. Uh, what about the Daymac in Canada? Oh, yeah. I forgot about Daymac. I haven't heard from, from them in a while about any new releases, but they're a, a Canadian company that they, they've got everything, like from like rascal scooters for octogenarians to like weird off-road, like UT or like ATV style. Thing. They got everything. So they might have an e-bike for you. Yeah. All right. So, um, that's it for the comments. 
Awesome. So thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, make sure you check back two weeks from now where we'll be back with the next episode of the Wheelie podcast. Have a great day, everyone.